0: Well, here we are yet again, um, and this is passing the baton number 48. It's the 30th of April, 2011, and the Royal Wedding is behind us. The title of this month's teaching is is The Gamble. Let's pray, shall we, before we begin? Father, thank you. Everything begins in you and ends in you, and without you there is nothing. Forgive us, Lord, when we get absorbed in ourselves. Help us to see, Father, that nothing exists outside of you. Expand our vision. Enable us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus in a new way. Enable us to be so fascinated with him that everything else disappears. Expand our minds and hearts and show us something of your great heart. Give us as much as we can cope with and then give us more. Stretch us Lord, bring us into alignment with you, with what you are thinking, what you're revealing, what you're doing in these days. Show us Father again and afresh your great heart of love towards us and your eternal plan. In Jesus name and for his sake. Amen unusual title that I thought when the Lord gave it to me the the gamble because with God nothing is a gamble um, everything he knows in advance but this month we are looking at the wife of Jehovah which is the nation of Israel and again we're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective not from the bottom up man's perspective but from the top down from God's perspective We're going to explore God's faithfulness as a husband in the face of his wife's unfaithfulness and how this fits in with the end-time scenario of the Great Tribulation and the rapture or catching away of the church in the twinkling of an eye which we looked at last month. We'll be looking too at appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before the Incarnation, the choosing of the nation of Israel, God's Covenantal nature which is revealed in his relationship with them the great divorce and the reconciliation which is to come and finally the end of all things so we're in for quite a trip first of all we must start at the beginning or is it in the beginning God first verse in Genesis 1 yeah 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 you said I've heard it all before Of course you have, but what I mean is was this the beginning or was there something before creation, before time, before space, before matter, before anything? Was there a non-place where there was no time, no space, no up, no down, no measurement? And if there was, what exactly happened there? There was such a place, though it wasn't a place, it was a person, God himself, before creation. Before creation existed, outside of time, space, everything to which we can relate, God was. There, Father, Son and Holy Spirit enjoyed life, love and laughter in complete communion with each other, endlessly. Before creation was, God was. The self-existent one, the I AM, Yahweh, the Jehovah, Jehovah, Almighty God. You know, don't you, that YHWH is the Tetragrammaton, so called in the Hebrew, uh, which can be pronounced as Yahweh, because we have to put vowel sounds in, and has got transliterated as Jehovah, which means the I AM. So there's no beginning no end. Alpha and Omega, a circle where does it start, where does it end? Everything we experience on know starts with Him and ends with Him and without Him, nothing. 1 John 1 1 1-3 in the Amplified In the beginning before all time was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God Himself, and He was a present originally with God. All things were made and come into existence through Him, and without Him was not even one thing made that has come into being. That's a, a wrong reference. I think it's John 1 1 to 3. Sorry about that. A finite mind, Graham Cook says, needs considerable help to understand the infinite. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Before creation, Father, Son and Holy Spirit saw everything from beginning to end, everything, nothing missed, their all-seeing gaze. And they had a round table conference, saw it all, laid it out on the table and came to a decision. They would create, all would be involved. But exactly what was their intention in creating the earth, the universe, and man himself? Was it a clockwork orange that they'd wind up and let go? Or was there something in the heart of God that yearned for something, for someone with whom to share their majesty? Was there something in the community of heaven that longed to share their glory? Love needs an object upon which to lavish its love. It seeks the best for the object that is loved. John 17, 24 in the New uh, International Version. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. He was alone. The first tick of time had never sounded, nor had the unending circle of eternity yet commenced. There were neither things created nor things uncreated to share space with Him. He dwelt in an age before the Eternals, where all there was, was God. Nor was there space for anything else. He was the uncreated. He was the All. In this non-time of so long ago, there was but one life-form, the highest life. He was also love, passionate, emotional, expressive, love. In this, God dwelling all alone, there was a paradox. Though he was alone, he was also love, yet there was no counterpart for him to love. A love so vast, so powerful, yet there was no other than. Then life pulsated, light blazed in newfound glory as revelation ascended in him as he cried from within the counsel of the Godhead, There can be two. I, the living God, shall have a counterpart. Exulting in revelation, he consecrated his whole being to this one task to have a bride. For one brief moment the infinite solitude retreated but just before he launched his grand design a very mysterious thing took place in God. Deep within the centre of his being there occurred an event that no other eye was ever to see, no other mind to conceive. A thousand million portions of God burst upward in light Each of these portions of God ignited into flaming brilliance, as if to proclaim that each had been chosen, even marked off, for some special distant destiny. Having marked off these future destinies, the living God gave himself to making real his highest dream. So he spoke, let there be. Thus begins Jean Edwards' classic book, the divine romance we looked at it last month genesis 3 8 to 9 in the niv again then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from god amongst the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man where are you The pre-incarnate Jesus, walking in the garden, talks and walks with his creation. They're already closely acquainted, Adam and Jesus. Genesis 2, 7 And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, mouth to mouth, nose to nose. He'd already hurled a small ball of matter the size of a hazelnut into space. The angels had watched in amazement as the Creator formed birds, beasts, fish, and now on the sixth day, saving the pinnacle of his creation to the end, he forms a man in his very own likeness in his image. Here the Lord Jesus Christ himself is described in his creative act of breathing his Ruach his spirit or breath into the lifeless lump of clay that would become a living, breathing soul whom he called Adam, Red Man. The wonder of it, something out of nothing. Step back for a second, let your imagination loose on this awesome event when man was created, Jesus bending over in the newly created garden Angels, birds and animals standing by, watching, waiting, what's he doing? His whole being is focused, intent on what he's doing, forming with delicate precision every part of something that is looking remarkably like God himself. He is creating man, moulding him with his very hands and fingers working the clay as a potter and the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So says God to Job in 38 verse 7. The Hebrew word forming here describes this creative act as forming and molding with utmost care, concentration and precision as a sculptor. Do you think that he um, moistened the soil while spitting on it? Uh, to make it workable, as he would do so many ians later in Bethsaida. Not an idle moment, you know, in the history of the Godhead. They had been planning this for a long, long time. Every detail had been carefully worked out. They knew the end from the beginning, they saw the lot, they waded up and decided that not only would all be well, but that it was what they most wanted. So they'd take a gamble. A people whom they could call their own, who would love them without coercion. A nation of their own, someone whom they could set their love upon. And the cost was worth it. They all agreed. Let's us do this thing. Genesis one twenty six New American Standard Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So he formed one soul, Adam. God sees nations, peoples, the church as one soul, and specifically a woman, a female a receiver. In comparison with the power of Almighty God everything else is female. And as we know he subsequently formed Eve from Adam in order to give Adam a counterpart reflecting his own desire for a counterpart, one of his own kind, image and likeness. So his selection process begins first one man, and from that one man a nation, from all the nations of the earth. Hebrews 11.8 tells us about this man. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. His selection is specific. In his foreknowledge he calls the man he knows who will obey him. He knows the calibre of the man he's chosen to father a nation. Later Moses, their God-chosen leader, will say this in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He saw the nation of Israel, his wife, as one soul, a woman to be desired as his own, on whom he would set his love and lavish his affection. Come with me now, see, see! He stands alone atop a high mountain. There she is, there she is. He sees her. Just a speck at first, appearing from the bondage of Egypt. A million people, ant-like, streaming across the desert, led by Moses, his chosen deliverer. He doesn't see a million people he sees his bride-to-be, a beautiful young maiden, her sandaled feet disturbing the dust as she walks gracefully in the heat of the day towards him. This is the one, the one to whom he would wed himself in covenant, an unknown, smallest of the nations. He would reveal himself to her and she would love him They would be as husband and wife. She would be faithful to him. She would love him. Wouldn't she? He would lavish himself on her, give her everything, abundance, grain, oil, new wine, houses, lands. Surely she would be faithful. He would give her everything. His heart beats a little faster at her approach. Seen from God's perspective, The Old Testament is the story of the lover of the universe anguishing over the heart of an adulterous woman his wife. He calls and calls her but she runs farther and farther away. His covenant love of Israel is a story of love that was unrequited unreturned not reciprocated. He gave her everything she gave him nothing. No thanks, no worship, no love She turned her back and slept with anyone who'd have her. Paying them, he says, to do it. Worse than a prostitute. Ezekiel 16.34 NIV So in your prostitution you are the opposite of others. No one runs after you for your favours. You are the very opposite. For you give payment and none is given to you. That which he desired above all, she could not give. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's it. Top and bottom. Love me. You can do that, can't you? The history of the nation of Israel is a love story. God's love for his chosen nation, not reciprocated by his chosen wife, who commits adultery thus making the marriage null and void and eventually leads to the great divorce. But he hasn't finished with them. He will again bring them to himself. His covenantal love requires nothing less. Romans eleven one and 2 I ask then did, Paul, did God re- reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Did God reject his people? No. He foreknew them. Ah. The foreknowledge of God. Elect. Predestined. Chosen. Ezekiel 16.3-14 in the New American Standard Bible. God speaking. Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out, into the open field, for you were, but were abhorred on the day that you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous, like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put some sandals of pauper skin on your feet, and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands, and a necklace round your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect, because of my splendor, which I bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. I entered into a covenant with you. A covenant is not an agreement between parties of equal standing and power when it relates to God's covenantal nature and love towards us. It is between those who are unequal, The initiative is taken by the stronger and more powerful, who binds himself to an obligation to care for the weaker. Deuteronomy 7, 6-8 in the NIV. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest. But it was because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In covenants between God and His people the initiative is always taken solely by Him. The Bible never recalls people proposing a covenant with God. It's always God who offers Himself and His covenant obligation to His people. Creator to created, the all-powerful to the weak and insignificant, undeserved and unmerited on our part, generous and forgiving, and providing on his part. Exodus 34 6 in the NIV and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. A covenant maker and a covenant keeper Deuteronomy 7 9 NIV Know therefore that the Lord your God is God; He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His covenant, keep His commandments. Forgive, pardon. Everything we know about God he's revealed to us from Genesis to Revelation. He is a God who wants to be known by his people. If you study it you will see from verse 1 in Genesis to the end of Revelation there is a progressive revelation of the nature and person of God himself. And he reveals himself by his names. You can track them through. So he is faithful. He's a covenant maker, and he's a covenant keeper. Let's eavesdrop then on a conversation between God and Abraham. Again, what we've got here is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Genesis seventeen seven and 8 When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him as for me this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. will be their God. Here God establishes an unbreakable covenant with the patriarch Abraham. He will father many nations and the land of Canaan will be his forever to possess and God will be their God. God makes a solemn promise confirmed with an oath. Genesis fifty twenty four. Then Joseph said to his brothers I'm about to die but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So when the Lord appears to Abraham later in Mamre, he knows who it is, who is visiting him. Genesis 18, 1 and 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Abraham knows who this is and subsequently as you know he negotiates with the Lord over Sodom where his nephew Lot resides. He's met him before he knows his voice. Abraham It was the voice of God Calling through the portal of heaven to a man being served his noon meal by a servant. The man doesn't hear the voice of God, observed an astonished Gabriel. He hears, replied the Lord. He's been asking to hear my voice for years now. Again, I've just quoted Jean Edwards from his book entitled The Escape. Anyone who sincerely wants to hear the voice of the Almighty, will hear it. Abram, called out of an incredibly pagan country, Ur in the Chaldees, or Babylon, where Ur was situated, to go to a land he would inherit according to the promise of God, knows who this is who comes visiting on that hot afternoon when he's seated at the door of his tent. Jesus, the visible member of the Godhead, reveals himself yet again before the incarnation to his chosen ones. Later on, he will tell us that if we've seen him, we've seen his father also. John 14, 7-9 in the New King James. The father revealed. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. He said to him, Have I been so long with you that you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. If we can get a glimpse of what Jesus is really, really like, we can know the Father. Everything was made by Him, and through Him, and without Him nothing was made, and from the beginning He has communicated with His creation. He desired relationship. Why else would He have created us? He is above all relational. John 1, 1 1-11 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him was nothing made that is made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light Saddest words in the Bible. His own did not receive him, but for us the gladdest words. If Israel had received him, where would we be? Romans eleven one to twenty four. Paul speaking. I ask then, did God reject His people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? God, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear, to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they can't see, and their backs be bent forever. We must never forget who we are. We are engrafted branches. Verse 11, and Paul says again, I ask, Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all rather because of their transgression salvation has come to the gentiles to make israel envious but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the gentiles how much greater riches will be their full inclusion i'm talking to you gentiles inasmuch as i am an apostle to the gentiles i take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as the first roots is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they don't persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, You were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? God has not finished with the nation of Israel. They are his covenant people, and God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. The content of that promise so many hundreds of years ago was essentially a seed, a land, and a universal blessing. And the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Romans 11.29 So God chooses this man just one separating him from all the other nations and from him Abraham is told will come a nation who will be in a special covenantal relationship with God himself above all the nations of the earth. God's plan? To use this people to show himself mighty and to reveal to the rest of the nations how he wants people to relate to him covenantally and intimately as a husband with his wife. Israel is to be the wife of Jehovah by divine decree, separation, and choice. Moses tells them in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 7, 6-8, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession." the lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous for you were the fewest but it was because the lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of pharaoh the king of egypt Here God's sovereign choice of the nation of Israel is made quite clear. It had nothing to do with them or their might. It had everything to do with God himself. God set his affection, his love upon them. And besides this, he'd already made an oath or a covenant to their ancestor Abraham. Genesis 12, 1-7 The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From one man God made the nation of Israel because he wanted an intimate relationship with them which would show the rest of the world who he was. But they broke the covenant God had made with them and first a separation then a great divorce took place between God and his people because his wife committed spiritual adultery with other gods who were not gods. Hosea 2.2 New American Standard Bible Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, and let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Israel as the wife of Jehovah and us the church as the bride of Christ are both descriptive of the relationship God wants with his people. But Israel commits spiritual adultery so he says contend with your mother, contend for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. The book of Hosea, the anguished cry of a passionate lover for his spouse. And something that has always touched my heart from when I was first a Christian, he recalls when Israel was little. I remember when I tripped over this in the Good News Version, which I'm going to use, I could not believe that this could be God speaking about Israel as a little one. And it is heart-wrenching. It's Hosea 11. And it's headed up, God's love for his rebellious people. The Lord says, When Israel was a child, I loved him and called him out of Egypt as my son. But the more I called to him, the more he turned away from me. My people sacrificed to Baal, they burned incense to idols, yet I was the one who taught Israel to walk. I took my people up in my arms, but they didn't acknowledge that I took care of them. I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and held them to my cheek. I bent down to them and fed them. They refused to return to me, and so they must return to Egypt and Assyria will rule them. War will sweep through their cities and break down the city gates. It will destroy my people because they do what they themselves think best. They insist on turning away from me. They will cry out because of the yoke that is on them, but none will lift it from them. How can I give you up, Israel? How can I abandon you? Could I ever destroy you as I did Admah, or treat you as I did Zoboam? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. I will not punish you in my anger. I will not destroy Israel again. For I am God, and not a mere human being. I, the Holy One, am with you. I will not come to you in anger. My people will follow me when I roar like a lion at their enemies. They will hurry to me from the west. They will come from Egypt, swiftly as birds, and from Assyria like doves. I will bring them to their homes again. I the Lord have spoken. the anguished cry from the passionate heart of God for the people whom he chose, rescued, delivered, led and fed. Israel, I can't let you go. I can't give you up. Here we see the emotional heart of God for his own. The cry of the great potentate of the universe over a wayward child, a wayward woman, a wayward nation we see discipline and restoration they will come when i've disciplined them they will see me they will return i will not be without them hosea then is the book that best describes the heart of god from the beginning where he calls and instructs hosea to get himself a wife who is a prostitute as a visual aid to Israel to the end where his heart breaks over his people as he declares I will bring them back the breaking heart of God shows without restraint he is a lover and a covenant-keeping God Israel will be restored he cannot give them up Jeremiah 31:31 behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah God had entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel given her the bridal gifts the nose rings jewelry and fine clothing loved and made beautiful she was but the marriage didn't last because of the unfaithfulness not of the groom but of the bride, the wife of Jehovah. Deuteronomy 5, 1-3 Which is the marriage contract? The whole of Deuteronomy is a repetition of the marriage contract, the covenant of God with the nation of Israel. So Moses summons Israel and says, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us, who are alive here today. The terms of this contract or covenant of marriage of the Lord to Israel were the commandments which he gave them, which they agreed to obey. I will, they said. And in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds them of their agreement. Deuteronomy 6 1 to 15. Head it up. Love the Lord your God. First commandment. These are the commands, decrees and laws that your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, Shema Yisrael, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Shema Yisrael Hear, O Israel, Adonai Elohino Adonai Echod, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. But hardly had they escaped from the clutches of the Egyptians before they were asking that Moses speak to them. You speak to us. We can't hack it when God speaks to us. Exodus 20, 18-22 When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. There is something in unredeemed humanity that cannot stand in the presence of the living God without conviction overtaking them. So rather than let that conviction do its work, the Israelites, as one man say, you speak to us, but don't let God speak or we'll die. Then Moses comforts the people. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people remained at a distance. And the Lord, knowing what would be their downfall, warns in advance about idolatry and false gods, and speaks of idols and altars. Verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold but it was upon deaf ears that the warning fell. Exodus thirty-two one. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain they gathered around Aaron and said come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt we don't know what's happened to him. Short-term memory loss. And the people begin to separate from their husband and follow after the gods who are no gods of other nations around them, forgetting their marriage vows. They commit adultery again and again, despite his sending them prophet after prophet to warn them what will happen if they do not turn. Hosea 2, 1 and 2 Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one, Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. But restoration is promised. Hosea 2.14 Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope there she will respond as in the days of her youth as in the day she came up out of Egypt in that day declares the Lord you will call me my husband you will no longer call me my master I will remove the names of the bales from her lips no longer will their names be invoked in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. God has not finished with Israel. Ezekiel sixteen one, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. And you'll remember he goes on to talk about their nativity and their birth. Ezekiel 16.60 Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you as in the days of your youth and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. God has not finished with Israel. There are yet seven years of her her history to be fulfilled. Here Isaiah uh, Isaiah 5 in the New American Standard speak of the vineyard where God speaks of his nation, his bride, his wife as a vineyard. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a vine v- wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste, it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold a cry of distress. It's because of Israel's unfaithfulness that we have been grafted in, and God has not finished with them yet, despite what some may say Romans eleven one and two in the message. Does this mean then that God's so fed up with Israel they have nothing more to do with them? Hardly. Remember that I, the one writing these things, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham out of the tribe of Benjamin, you can't get much more Semitic than that. So we're not talking about repudiation. God has been too long involved with Israel, has too much invested to simply wash his hands off them. The history of the wife of Jehovah goes downhill almost from the moment they came out of Egypt. They yearned for a king to reign over them like the nations around them, refusing to relate properly to the Lord himself. So he gave them a king. Did you know that God will give you what you ask for? He gave them soul. And the Old Testament tells us the story, the sorry story of their demise, sinking lower and lower into the ways of the nations around them under the ever-watchful eye of the Lord himself who charted their downward slide with prophetic warnings which they consistently ignored until exile. They are sent away from their homeland by invading forces and are in the fifth cycle of discipline. But God does not forget his covenant with them by no means. Ezekiel twenty thirty-three to 38 As surely as I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will judge you face to face, just as I judged my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I judge my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Charting then the history of the nation called and chosen to be his wife, we see the marriage covenant, Deuteronomy 5, 3, and it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, all of us, who are alive here today. The husband's jealous love for his wife, Deuteronomy six, ten to 15 When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you, a land with flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow after other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and His anger will burn against you and He will destroy you, from the face of the land. His sovereign choice of them, Deuteronomy 7.6 For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And the great adultery, Jeremiah 3.1-5 If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see. Is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert? You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. The separation because of their adultery prior to the divorce. He asks then, if I have divorced you, where's the paperwork? No, I've separated myself from you and sent you away in order to cause you to return to me, faithless wife. Isaiah 50 verse 1 This is what the Lord says, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. Despite many prophetic words calling the nation back to himself, they still refuse to hear. Stiff-necked and hard-hearted, they persist in their rebellion until there is nothing left for Jehovah to do but put them away by divorce. And then God serves the papers on them. The certificate of divorce which we find in Jeremiah 3, 6-10. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she'd done all this, she would return to me, but she didn't. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she deviled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all, all her heart but only in pretense, declares the Lord. So in the days of Jeremiah, the 100-year separation of God from his wife, having not worked, not resulting in the hope for repentance, God has no choice and the divorce takes place. There is yet another stage after the divorce. And that is the discipline of God upon his chosen nation because of her consistent unfaithfulness. And we find in Ezekiel 16 God's statement of the effects of her behaviour. Ezekiel 16, 35-43 Therefore you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says because you poured out your lust and exposed your naked body and your promiscuity with your lovers, and because of all your detestable idols, and because you gave them your children's blood. Therefore, I am going to gather all your lovers with whom you found pleasure, those whom you loved as well as those you hated. I will gather them against you from all around and will strip you in front of them and they will see you stark naked. I will sentence you to the punishment of women who commit adultery and who shed blood. I will bring on you the blood vengeance of my wrath and jealous anger. Then I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewellery and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. They'll burn you down with your houses and inflict punishment on you in the sight of many women. I will put a stop to your prostitution and you will no longer pay your lovers. Then my wrath against you will subside and my jealous anger will turn away from you. I will be calm and no longer angry. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but enraged me with all these things, I will surely bring down on your head what you've done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Did you not add lewdness to all your other detestable practices? (sighs) Discipline. Egypt will destroy her, Assyria will devastate her, Babylon will make her desolate. He will use the nations around her to discipline her. The Lord our God, whose name is Jealous. But the whole intent and purpose of this discipline is restoration. To cause the nation to turn back to him, the one who loves her. She is to this day in the fifth cycle of discipline. But restoration is promised at the end of all things. There are still seven years of history for the nation of Israel yet to be fulfilled, spoken of by the prophet Daniel as seven days. This time is known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 Alas, for that day is great, so that there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. This is the final week of years which is yet to be fulfilled in the future and is known as Daniel's 70th week. Matthew twenty-four, twenty-one, and 22 For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. And except those days shall be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Such will be the trouble of that time and the evangelism of the Jewish nation that multitudes will come to a saving knowledge of their Messiah. Zechariah twelve ten to 13 uh, sorry, Zechariah twelve ten to 13 2, headed up mourning for the one they pierced. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they've pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping as Hadadrimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of the house of Shimei and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. On that day... I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. That is the restoration of the nation of Israel through the Great Tribulation, and he himself will do it. And what about us, the bride, where will we be? Before the final seven years of Israel's history, the time of Jacob's trouble, we will be snatched up in the twinkling of an eye. For the devastation that is to come is upon the unbelieving nation of Israel and the unbelieving nations of the world. During this final seven years of the earth's history, we will be receiving our rewards in heaven, experiencing complete spiritual union with our bridegroom, And finally we will join our guests at the wedding feast which will take place on the renewed earth after the second advent. The wedding guests, these are the Old Testament saints who have been resurrected together with the tribulational martyrs and those who believed during the great tribulation and were alive at the coming of the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen and Amen. May God bless his precious word to us. Next month we're going to look in detail at the way God chastened, disciplined and judged the nation of Israel in what are known as the five cycles of discipline. They knew his acts but they never knew his ways. And as we study, we will see his ways which enable us to see even more clearly that our God is not only a covenant-keeping God, but a God of principles which never, ever change. Knowledge of these principles will guarantee that we know, that we know, that we know we will not go through this terrible time known as the Great Tribulation. Now that is good news. And it is worthy of sharing. God bless you. The two books that I quoted from were both by Jean Edwards. The first one was The Divine Romance. And the second, The Escape. uh, Both available from Amazon.co.uk. God bless you. Thank you for listening.